Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. In the year 1517, Martin Luther would nail those 95 theses to the door there of the church and begin what we know as the Protestant Reformation. And I've been trying intentionally, and maybe this will continue we'll to see, of just sharing just bits and pieces of stories of people that have been a part of that. And and I think one of the things that often happens is, is that we hear that and we think that, well, that's when it began. But the reality is an example like John Huss, some 150 years prior to that, will be a man that will God will raise up. Huss was born into an extremely poor family. His father died when he was but a little child. His mother was poor, but able to send him off to school. Huss would become a priest there as he was born there in southern Bohemia and becomes a Catholic priest. But in the midst of studying John Wycliffe's writings and beginning to examine God's word, he, he realized that truth, the truth was that only Christ could save. There was nothing a man or woman could do to save themselves. Only Christ could save. He begins to preach powerfully the truth of God's word and the hope is only in Christ and that will soon find him in conflict with the leadership of that day. And they begin to challenge him and call him to recant on his statement about the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'll be mocked and tried and later condemned to death. And as he marches toward his death, this weak man is guarded by some 800 soldiers. As they bring him to the place and they will... Again, put him to the post and put the straw around him. I want to share with you some of his final words. He arrives there at the spot and drops to his knees and he says these words. Into thine hands I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. After a short pause, he began to pray again. Lord Jesus, I cheerfully suffer this terrible and cruel death. For the sake of thy holy gospel and the preaching of thy sacred word. Do thou forgive my enemies the crime they are committing. The jailers and those who are with him began to give him a permission to speak further. And he says this. I thank you most sincerely for all the kindness you have shown me. For you have behaved to me more as brothers than as guards. Know also that my trust in my Savior is unshaken. For whose sake I willingly suffer this death. Being assured that I shall be with him this day in paradise. The straw was soon lit and the flames would grow. But instead of screams, the people heard John Huss singing praises to God. See, beloved, I think we must be reminded there's always been people that have been willing to trust in God while facing their fears. There have always been people who were willing to trust God while facing their fears. This morning, I want to encourage you and let you know of the hope from Isaiah 41 that there is a place for fears to die. That there's a place for fears to die. I don't know what your greatest fears are. I don't know what fears you deal with right now currently. But my assumption is if I ask all of us in here have fears. Isaiah 41 begins to let us know that there's a place for those fears to die. Listen, if you would, begin in verse 10. The prophet writes, fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We're going to take that verse today. We're just going to kind of work through it. To try to understand what is God saying to his people. Right again, reminding ourselves of the context. They have now found themselves in Babylonian exile, right? Many were killed. The temples destroyed, right? They're exiled from their homeland. They seem without hope. And yet there's a God who speaks in and says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, right? For I am your God. If you were to look to the original languages, it's interesting how this verse begins. It's literally striking, honestly. It begins these words, no phobia. How many of you have some phobias, have some fears? Maybe not willing to admit it, confess it, but I'm assuming most of us have some fears, right? Whether it's fear of public speaking, fear of, right, um, the dark, right? How many of you struggle with that? Fear of the dark, right? I mean, listen, we all, we all have struggles. Fear of dying, fear of someone you love getting sick, fear of the relationship not getting better, fear that the relationship may not make it to where you hope it's going to go, right? Fear that you may not graduate, fear that you may not pass this class, fear that... The, the children may never come. Fear that you may not see your grandchildren. Fear that, right, I mean, whatever it is, we all have fears. Some of you may have some crazy phobias, right? You're afraid of, like, people are, I read crazy stuff. Like, people are afraid of, like, peanut butter and jelly. And I'm like, what? Right? But listen, again, what if you just heard that from Isaiah 41 and 10? No phobia. And you say, why are you, why, how could you live the remainder of your days without the phobia, without the paralyzing fear? Listen to what he says. Look at it. It's just right here off the bat. Fear not for, why is that? Why should we have no longer no phobias, no fears? Come on now. Fear not for I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. He says, listen, be not dismayed for I am your God. Listen, he says, I do not want my people to be paralyzed by fears. I don't want your life to be defined by the phobias and the things that have just overwhelmed your soul, that are rocking your ship. He says, I want you to know that the great I am is with you. But to understand how significant it is that God is with us and that we are not to be dismayed or, or fearful, we need to understand who this God is. And so let's rewind the story just for a moment here in Isaiah 41 to let Isaiah share with us a couple things. First, Isaiah shares with us this. The reason why, again, I will not fear is because God is with me. But listen to what he says here. Beginning in verse 2, he speaks about the fact that God is the king over all kings. Verse 2. Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By pass, his feet have not trod. Right, and the question is, well, who's he speaking of? Well, it's interesting, right? The text notes that it's one from the east is coming. But you notice the question is, is who's the one that's stirring this one up, right? Who's stirring up this one from the east? Who's this one that's providing victory from the one coming from the east? Notice what else he does. This one that's doing this, he gives up nations before him, right? So again, this this one that's coming, who's conquering people, right? The, the question is, right, it's so great, so that, right? Look what it says there. He tramples kings underfoot. 
The text is helping us see that one from the east is ultimately Cyrus and the Babylon, right? You got the Babylonians, the Persians, as they begin to come in, right? It says, I want you to know who it is that's raised up, right? Like Cyrus or the Persians. Who's raised up these great leaders? The Bible wants us to know that it's a different perspective than maybe what you've ever had. And it's this. That the God who sits on the throne is actually in control of all things in heaven and on earth. There's a God who's ruling and reigning. We don't have time today, but you need to mark it down in your, your margin. Acts 17, verse 26. And the, like the surrounding context where the apostles talk about the fact that God is the one that ultimately determines boundaries and lands. And he's raised up people and set and determined fixed times and dates. All these things, right, are rooted in the fact that, listen, it says, I want you to see that there's this great Cyrus that's going to trample on the scene, right? People like Alexander the Great, others. And the text is helping us see that God is ultimately the one that is in charge and in control. So not only is he the king of all kings, right? That he's ruling and reigning over all the empires and all the things that are happening. It's also the fact that Isaiah tells us he's the uncreated creator of the universe. Look what, look what it says here, verse 4. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. It says, listen, who's the one that began all these things, like calling the generations from the beginning? Who started? Who created people, right? He's asking these questions, like big questions, like how did things begin? How did things get their start? And listen to what the text says. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. It says everyone started. It's from God. He's the uncreated one. Look, he says, I'm the first, I'm the last, right? Now, Jesus is going to echo that in Revelation, isn't he? When he calls himself the Alpha, what? And the Omega, he's using the first letter of the alphabet, last letter of the alphabet, right? He's saying, I'm the A, I'm the Z. Jesus says, listen, the one that's here that's speaking these words, that's me. I'm in the flesh, right? God in the flesh. He says, listen, I want you to know, right, people, as, you, as you're dealing with fear, right, and you're watching headlines flick across your screen, and you're seeing this happen, and, and this take place in this society, and this culture is doing this, and this nation's against this nation, and there's a potential that this tariff may not work out, and what will begin to happen here? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of reason for fear and panic until we come to the Word of God and see who He is. And we hear from him, fear not, for I am your God and I am the king above all kings. I am the one who has created and I also sustain all things. Thirdly, look what he says to them again here as you hear about this statement. Fear not, for I am your God. Be not dismayed, for I am with you. I want you to recognize what it means that this God is with you. Look what it says here, verse 5. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. That's the response. When you see chaos in the world, right? You see this great world power, right? It's like Cyrus of the Persians rousing up or Alexander the Great or the Romans coming through to conquer, right? Or we hear today about potential nuclear wars or you hear the fact that a terrorist could walk in with a bomb strapped here this morning. We would be unaware and boom! We live in that culture, in that world. And look what the people are saying. They are seeing, they are afraid, they are trembling. But watch their response. Verse 6. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. 
And he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. These people turn to their gods. That's what they do. In the midst of the fear, they turn to their own gods, the gods that they can create and make. You say, well, Blake, I don't have any little god on the shelf, right? I don't go down and worship some little statue or golden Buddha or anything else. But we often turn other places, don't we? To the pills, to the bottle, to put people on blast in social media, right? We turn to other relationships to try and satisfy us. I mean, we turn to all kinds of things to try to alleviate our fears and our anxieties and our worries. And that's what the people of the world are doing. But look what the people of God do. But you, verse 8, listen to that. But you, here's what the world's doing. In the midst of their fears, in the midst of anxieties, right? This is what maybe your neighbors and people you run into are doing as they deal with fears and all the world and upheaval that's going on in our culture. And they're not sure. They're afraid. Listen to this, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. That's what he calls them. He calls them my servant, my friend. He notes the fact that they have been chosen And then listen, he says to them, reminding them of what he's already done. He reminds them of who he is, who they are in him, and what he has already done. Listen to this. You, whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. God says, listen, I raised you up and you were the most unlikely people. Look what I've already done for you in your life. But look what he says again. But you, Israel... My servant, chosen, my friend. When I read those words this week, studying, I thought about the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. Listen to the striking familiarity. No longer do I call you servants. Again, you hear that word servant. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but instead I have called you what? I've called you friends. So again, you're hearing that, right? Servant, friend. Listen to what he says here. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known unto you. Right? Look what he says here again. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Look what here again we have. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have, again, look what he says, chosen. That's the very word Jesus uses. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus using these very same words, servant, friend, choosing, right, to let them know, I love you. You are mine. I have given my life for you. Rest in that. Right? You have days when you're uncertain. You're not sure. Rest in what I have done. I mean, if we rewind just a little bit back in John 15 there. He says these words. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life. What? For his friend. This is people that are loved. He says, I want you to know that you are loved in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your anxiety. Because oftentimes we can wonder, God, do you love me? God, do you even care for me? And the text is reminding us continually, God loves and cares for you. So first, right, we will not fear. Why? Because God is with us. But secondly, look what he says here. I will not fear because God will strengthen me. So I will not fear because God is with me. And I know that this God who's with me is the king above all kings. 
Right? He is the uncreated creator of the universe. And I know that he is my friend and ultimately he gave his life for me. And so now I know that I will not fear because God will strengthen me. Again, back to verse 10 of Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And then he says that statement. I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you. Maybe you might just repeat this morning to your own soul. I will not fear because God is with me. What if that just became something of your life when you face moments of paralyzing fear, when you aren't sure if I can take another step in this relationship? I'm not sure if I can stand before this class and give this speech today. I'm not sure I can take that exam. I'm not sure I'm capable of doing what I've been asked to do at work or in the church. I'm just not sure that I'm capable. I've got fears, right, of where this may lead or what may happen. Maybe today you would just remind yourself and say this, I will not fear because God is with me. I will not fear because God is with me. Right? Just reminding yourself, hearing those words. And so, what, look what he says here. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Then look what he says a little further. Verse 14. It's interesting. Fear not. You what? What's he call him? You worm. I don't know if you guys ever, but I mean, I remember especially like as as boys, I don't know how much girls do this. They may do it plenty too, but like how many of you like ever like to take those big worms and see how far you could stretch them, right? And do things. Some of you are upset, right? Peter's going to come after me or whomever, right? I don't know, right? But listen, some of you, right, probably had moments in which you did things like that, right? I mean, a worm is just weak. They're, 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 they don't, they can't move fast, right? I mean, those guys are just, they're, they're, they're sitting ducks, right? I mean, they're, they're, and that's what he says. Listen, fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. Like, that's not a very complimentary way to speak of someone. Like, dude, you're a worm. Right? I mean, that's flattering, right? I mean, and that what most men, that's what most men, you think of yourself being buff, right? I mean, like, what if, what if someone calls you a worm, right? I mean, fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. And then listen to what he says. I'm the one who helps you declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, and what? listen to this transformation from a worm. From a worm. Because some of you listen, you think you are too weak. You think from your family, no one, God couldn't do that from your family. You think from your situation right now, you could never recover. Listen to what he says, from a worm. Listen to this transformation, verse 15 of Isaiah 41. Behold, I will make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. And you shall make the hills like chaff. This threshing sled, right, was a long piece of wood that had these sharp teeth, these stones underneath it. And he's saying, literally, I've taken and sharpened you. I mean, you were like a worm that could do absolutely nothing. But I want you to know that when the G.O.D. steps up on the scene in your equation, everything changes. He takes you from a little seemingly worm to crushing mountains. This God is unlike any other God. And He's saying it to people who are in the most helpless of situation. He wants them to remember, don't forget about your Redeemer. Don't forget about your Redeemer. Don't forget who I am. Right? He is the one that will strengthen you. David in Psalm 22, is, or Second Samuel 22, sorry begins to share a little bit about his life and the fact that he experienced times when King Saul was trying to kill him time and time again. 
David faced the Philistines and others. He faced Goliath and many armies and others that came against him. Often they were outnumbered and out-equipped. And it seemed like they had absolutely no hope. But David begins to share from 2 Samuel chapter 22. And listen to what he says. And David, beginning in verse 1, spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Listen again, you're hearing this. I will not fear because God will strengthen me. Listen to what David says. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of death entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From His temple, He heard my voice. And my cry came to His ears. And look at me, verse 40 of Second Samuel 22. For you equip me with strength for the battle. Did you hear that? For you equip me with strength for the battle. This wasn't David. David says, listen, if you read all these stories and think about David and his mighty men, I want you to know who was doing the ultimate battling. It was God for you equip me for the battle. David wasn't strong enough to face right Goliath. His men weren't strong enough to jump down with a pit on a snowy day with a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Some of those men, right, it says they, they fought so long their hands froze to the sword. Sometimes 300 against one. He says, listen, if you hear that and all think those are some slaying brothers. He says, I want you to know who we are. We were equipped by our God. And the question that you and I must now answer is, that God any different than the one that equips you? The Bible says, for I am God, I change not. I am the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. The same God that equipped David to face all of his enemies. It's the same God that will strengthen you. But let's be straight about it. Most of our enemies aren't strapping on a sword. Right? They're not showing up in armor. The enemies that most of the time we face look much differently. But I want to be reminded of the enemies and the challenges that sometimes you face that you need to be strengthened from. I think about ladies from our own congregation here, Miss Gladys Keltner. About the many hardships that she suffered and went through. The many struggles that Miss Gladys faced. And yet looking out those front doors so often. Seeing Miss Gladys come up with that arm that wasn't working as well. With that purse there. The Bible there. And an umbrella up in the midst of the pouring rain. With the feet struggling right up those steps into these doors. Why? Because there was a God that was strengthening Miss Gladys Keltner to get here. Are you with me? When I think about the fact that there's a God who will strengthen us. I'm reminded of stories just like Miss Elsie Stewart. Can you imagine waking up on Christmas Day and your husband falling dead? Boom. Or your daughter having polio and battling that all your life. And Miss Celsie just sharing, my, my constant prayer was, God, let me live long enough to be able to take care of Wanda. And God did that. Why? And Miss Celsie would tell you there was a God who was strengthening her. So, beloved, listen, when we hear these words, I will strengthen you, we know what that looks like. We've seen faithful saints amongst this very congregation walk through deep, dark valleys, and their God was faithful. I wonder, is He your God? Is the God of Gladys Keltner and Celsie Stewart your God? That you can walk through that with your family, with your hard situations? 
I think it's a reminder to us why we need all here. Young, old, rich or poor, red or yellow, black or white. You all are valuable and needed and you need to invest in this body. To be able to walk beside some godly saints like that. Let them encourage you and may you encourage them. So listen, I will not fear, but not only because God will strengthen me, but also this. I will not fear because God will help me. This was pretty cool right here. Listen to this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Now look what else he says here. I will help you. The word help that's being used right here is a, uh, it's a compound word. And it's interesting. The, the first part of it means cry, and the second part of it indicates run. And so it says literally, I will help you. God is telling the people, listen, when you cry, I'm going to run. When you cry, I'm going to run to you. I mean, is that good news? You ever been in those moments like when you didn't know what else to do and you're like overwhelmed and you're not sure like you could take another step and then, and then there's this God who says, fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, I'm your God. I will strengthen you and when you cry to me, I will run. I will run to you. <clears throat> I think it does something for our soul to be weak. I think it's good that we are weak people. I'll just be really transparent with you guys. As a kid, I was often terrified in the nights. I don't know if any of you other deal with that, but I was terrified in the nights. I would hear noises and I would, I would be under the blanket, right? I mean, you've been there. Some of you that were like that, you're blanket people, right? You run to the point, you're like suffocating, like you're just pouring sweat. But you know, if you ever come out behind that like invisible curtain that no one can see, right? It's over. And so I just think that that weakness in my own life has made me like hypersensitive now. Like when in the moment and the darkness, when I just hear this one word, daddy, I'm up out of that bed like a, like, I mean, literally like I'm catapulted out. I just hear it. Daddy! I hear that cry. I know what that sounds like. I know that's that's rib. That's Josiah. That's Judah. I know, right? I don't know if it's a bad dream. I don't know what's happening. But I know what it was like for my own soul to be paralyzed there at night underneath those covers, fearful, afraid. Can they hear me? Are they seeing me? Is that door squeaking? Does that mean somebody's coming in to get me? And so now when my boys just simply say the word daddy, man, I'm out. And so I have to ask if we as parents might do that how much more our god if we think about the fact of the bravest soldier right willing to go in i think about 9-11 right i mean you hear those stories of 9-11 i'll be i'll be, be honest I, I i've got to imagine that if i'm in the trade center towers i'm trying to get out and then i hear these stories about men and women who instead while everyone else is going out they're coming in they hear that cry and they respond. These first responders, these those that have been called to protect and serve, God bless them. What great courage. They hear that cry and they are going into a building that is coming down. Thank you to those who have served in our military or emergency services or a part of any other thing that's protecting the weak. Thank you. 
And this is a God, listen, who says, I will hear your cry and run. It's interesting in Mark chapter 9, Jesus is coming down the mountain and a father comes to him with a son who's demon possessed, which is challenging none the least. It's, it's just a challenging statement, right? That you've got a child who's demon possessed. He shares with Jesus as he comes down and he says to him in verse 22 of Mark 9, it's often cast him into fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And listen to what he says. And what? Help us. It's the same word being used. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. Here's a father who's crying. Literally, he's crying out, help us. Help my little boy, God. Help mine. And Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are what? Are possible for who? One who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, listen to what he says, I believe what? Help my unbelief. Two times the same word that's used right back here in Isaiah 41 and 10. That father uses it. I think it's very interesting. He uses it once to say, would you help heal us? And then to the very same God who was able to heal us physically, he says to him, would you help my unbelief? Would you help me also spiritually? Right? Like there's a God who can help you listen in the face of your weaknesses physically, but also spiritually. This God can help you cry out to him. Listen, we all have moments, right, where we struggle to believe. I struggle like I feel like daily I'm struggling with my faith. Do you guys struggle with that? Battling just man, just God help me believe. Lord, I want more faith. Now, listen, some of you in the body of Christ, you have the gift of faith. And the body of Christ, listen, desperately needs you to exercise that gift. We desperately need you to exercise your gift. But listen, all of us, whether you have the gift or not, we all have moments in which we struggle with our faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. He's crying out. Lord, help my unbelief. So listen, I'm sure there are moments when you face temptation or you're weak. Hebrews 2 and 18, listen to what it says. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to what? Help those who are being tempted. He is able to help you in the midst of your temptation and struggle with sin. Just cry out to him. That's what the text is saying. If you will cry out to the Savior, he was tempted in every way, just as we are. And yet he never once said yes. And he will give you the strength also to say no. That's what Hebrews 2 and 18 is telling us. And all of that, again, is reminding us of who this God is back in Isaiah 41 and 10. I will help you cry out to me. Yesterday we were at Subway eating after Upward had finished and um, Josiah got a big pepperoni sub, didn't you, Josiah? And he was working it. And a few bites in, uh, we began to hear just a noise. Right? And so you kind of, you, you flip the switch, right? I mean, when that moment happens, you flip the switch. You're not worried about your sub or what you're drinking or if you're going to need a cookie next, right? When that moment happens, someone you, you, you're with starts choking and so I, I look across the table, right? I'm, I'm getting zoned in. I'm already thinking, all right, I'm going to go in. And then I see over the corner, out of the corner of my eye, there's a gentleman who's standing there at the counter. He's ordering. And the first time my child makes this noise, he does this. And he locks in and he begins to make this move. And in, in a second or so, as he's beginning to make his move, Josiah, we, the Lord just takes care of it and he is able to clear it and get it out. That young man there, Mr. Taylor, is one that protects and serves here. 
in this community and surrounding communities. In a moment, he heard, right? He's, he's ordered. He's worried about his sub, right? Would you like to have this vegetable or not? You need more vegetables, by the way. Just FYI, you need more, right? And he's ordering. But the moment he hears that cry, right? That cry of help. He stops ordering his sub and says, boom, there's something of greater importance. Beloved, that's your life every day. We are locked into what we're doing at work or whatever. And there are people crying for help all around us. We must hear that cry and turn and respond. So I thank God for Mr. Taylor and others like that who serve in this community and other communities who protect us, who respond when you dial the number 911. Thank you, Lord. But remember, there's a God when you're choking on sin, He hears that cry. Would you call out to Him? Would you, would you call out to Him while you choke on sin? While it seems to overwhelm your soul, you can't say no this time. There's a God. If you will call out to Him, He will help you. So again, I'm not gonna, I will not fear because God will strengthen me. I will not fear because God will help me. And last, I will not fear because God will uphold me. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And he begins to share with them. We don't have time today, but he just transforms their entire situation. Everything changes. Right? All those who had pressed them, those who had come against them, he turns everything about it. The battle is totally transformed by the inner, inner intervention of God. He says, I want you to know, guys, I will uphold you. The word uphold indicates to keep secure. He says, I want you to know, I will keep you secure. I will protect you. Know who I am. I'll protect you. The words keep secure is used in an interesting place in the New Testament. It's in Matthew chapter 27. And Jesus has been crucified on Friday. And it's time to put him in the tomb. And the chief priests and the Pharisees that Matthew 27 records, they come to Pilate and say, listen, this guy's been making claims that after he died, he was going to be what? He's going to be raised again. So listen, they said, you need to make the tomb secure. And so look what happens here. Therefore, order the tomb, look what he says, to be made secure. Same word. Until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. And some of you, I'm fearful that's what you're doing. You're trying to make your life as secure as you can. Listen to what he says here. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. But the reminder is, listen, man, woman, boy, girl, we can only do so much. You cannot hold back the Almighty God. Right? His Son is there in the grave. But the text records for us that God, by the power of His great might, raised His Son up from the dead. Right? Listen to what, how the text unfolds. Matthew chapter 28. There's a great earthquake. An angel descends from heaven, sits on the, th- on the stone, Listen to what it says, verse 4, Matthew 28. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. It's a reminder that no one can stop this God. He is so great and so mighty, right? And so it's a reminder to you, listen, When you hear the words of Psalm 23, that's the God that's walking with you. For though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are what? For you are with me. Remember who it is that's with you. 
as you walk through that. You have a water walking, food multiplying, deaf healing, lame raising, leprosy cleansing, blind seeing, sick healing, sin defeating, death destroying God who is with you in the valley. So might we ask the question, why are we afraid? Shouldn't it be everybody else in the valley that's afraid that God's walking with us? Everybody else in the valley ought to have fear because this God who walks on water, who raises the dead, who heals the blind, who can multiply food and feed thousands, that good shepherd is walking with you in the valley. Maybe it's not us that needs to be afraid in the valley. Maybe it should be everyone else because who is walking with us? This God says, I am with you. So, beloved, listen, fear not, God will strengthen you. The reign of that phobia, listen, it's time for that to come to an end. There is a chain breaker for every fear that you have this morning. Would you this morning come and say, Christ, would you break those chains? Would you set me free? Fear not. Why? Because God will help you. Even though you may feel like a worm and you have no more strength to give, you don't think you could go another day, you couldn't take another step, right? You can't study another moment. There's just no way. This relationship, that test, right? You can't make it another moment. Your spouse has been dead and you have got the blues, something awful. You feel so lonely. You don't think you can make it another day. I want you to know there's a God who will help you. Just cry out to Him. Fear not. Listen, because God will uphold you and He will rescue you and keep you secure from every evil force. And even the grave cannot stop this God. And with that, I leave you with the words of Edward Moat from 1834. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is what? Sinking sand. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is what? Sinking sand. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh then, may I then in Him be found. Clothed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking saying fear not beloved your god is with you do you know him what an opportunity for you this morning today is the day of salvation now is appointed time for you to respond to jesus christ by repentance acknowledging your way of life is wrong and the only hope for you is to be transformed by him putting your faith and trust in jesus that he died on the cross to forgive you to cleanse you of every sin and stain That you could be accepted before a holy God forever. You could enter into paradise because of what Christ has done for you. Today, would you repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are the only solid rock. I pray now for your people, Lord, who will face many fears, who have many phobias. God, I pray right now that they will know that their God who is with them is unlike any other God. Give them courage. Give them hope, God. Let them trust in You. 
for those here who feel the absolute weakest, the wormiest. God, let them know today that you love to strengthen worms. God, I pray that your people will trust in you. Draw people under your son Jesus today to confess him as Lord and Savior. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.